the passage I want to I want to begin with is in your handout there. You can see it, Second Corinthians, first chapter, verse eight through eleven. I want to read them. This is a great passage, especially when we find ourselves in difficulty. We'll be able to relate to everything that Pastor Paul. I mean, <laughs> we'll be everything that the Apostle Paul, who was also a pastor, um, had to say to us. It says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. So he's talking about a very difficult time in their ministry. And then he gets very candid, very real. He says, we were crushed. We were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, if you want to know the truth, we expected to die. We, as a, but as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and we learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us. You know how you're doing it? By praying for us. And then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. So Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth and he's telling them, here's what we went through. Here's how we felt, literally, I mean, we felt crushed, overwhelmed. When Paul's, now, when he says he was feeling crushed and overwhelmed and that he expected to die, that tells, he's not, a, he's not an exaggerator. And he says, I want you to know your prayers made such a difference for me. Now, I was looking at that and I was going, wow, you know, that verse, that eighth verse, we were crushed and completely overwhelmed. We never thought we would live through it. I was looking at, at a couple other versions and how they translated it. In the ESV, it says this, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And then the one that really, I don't know why, it struck me with the NIV translated it, different versions, that's all. We are under great pressure, great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired for life itself. That phrase, something about that phrase, we're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired for life itself. Have we ever been under so much pressure that we thought we might not make it? Like, this is too much. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Have we ever been under so much pressure that we thought we might die? Or have we ever been in so much pain and despair that part of us wondered if dying might be a better alternative? That's real. So let's look at this passage and let's look at the survival principles that we just read. We may not see them, but they're there. They're staring right at us. In that 8th through 11th verses, there are survival principles about how to move forward when life is placing tremendous pressure on us. And again, I'm not suggesting that we're under that right now. Some of us may be. But we will experience things that will test us. They may be physical. They may be relational. They may be emotional. We're going to see. We'll talk about it. What is the first thing he suggests we do? I'm going to just put this up on the board. First principle, stop. Sounds so simple. Stop relying on ourselves and instead rely on God. Now, don't rush past that. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's an easy thing to say. No, we, Paul, again, we learn, he says in verse 9, we learned not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God. See, we're taught, you rely on yourself. You're the strong one. But he's, he's suggesting something antithetical to that. He's He's saying not that we shouldn't want to be strong people, but he's saying learn how to rely on God. It's better than relying on ourselves. Rely on God. Because he's saying there'll be some situations 
where we don't have enough to do this right. Relying on God, what does it even mean? Someone said to you, hey, what does rely on God? What does it mean when you say rely on God? How do we, how do we even do it? Well, at least in part, it means that we are to appeal to him for strength and courage. So part of relying on God means we turn to the Lord for strength and courage. We also invite his presence, his spirit, to help us. And we begin to practice trust. I talked about this a little bit last week. To say it in a different way, we, start, we practice casting our confidence in his direction. There's a great verse in Psalm 55, verse 22. It says this, cast your burden on the Lord. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will what? He will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. If we hold ourselves in a certain place, we are almost untouchable. Now, to cast is to extend our reach, right? So you're casting your burden. You're, we're casting something in his direction. We're, we're, it's almost like we're throwing our concern in his direction. Lord, he, right? It's a casting. It's important, so it's important to understand that when we're under that kind of pressure, when we're under duress, that we reinforce our trust in strategic ways that we, like, we buttress it, as I understand, and I really do. You know, we want to hold ourselves in a certain position to move through something. But I understand sometimes how hard it can be when we're, when it's, when we're feeling beat, beaten and weakened and despairing. It's hard sometimes to keep our hands up, if you will. It's, it's, it, you can barely lift our arms. Times when we have hit the wall where we just feel like, if not the enormity of what we're facing, the relentlessness of it is beginning to wear me down at a level that I just, it's just, to kill, it's killing me. It's pulling the life out of me, right? And I think in those moments when we feel that way, we need to be able to, to just extend ourselves towards the Lord and know that He's there. He's there to help us. He's there, but sometimes we get extended beyond our capacity, beyond our, our ability. Um, we're running on fumes. We're on empty. That can happen in, in our relationships, too. It can happen in, <laughs> between a husband and a wife. Sometimes you get, get that way where you just, you're so beat down. One another, you're hurting. It can happen in friendships. During my time in the cave, uh, that's why I call what happened to me two years ago. Uh, I came across Psalm 31. And I'm not expecting everybody to get every detail. Not everyone's been to all the messages. And I've been sharing in and out of it. The fact of the matter was I had to go on a medical sabbatical. And it, I was working through a number of issues simultaneously. And I just felt awful. And I came across, But I was reading. I was reading the scriptures. I was writing down the Psalms. I, I was asking God to speak to me. And one of them I hit was Psalm 31. The Psalms are powerful, they're real, they're great. They're a great way to approach something when you're trying to position yourself with God because things are hard. In Psalm 31, David wrote this, and see if we can relate to it. It's raw. I mean, he's exclaiming. You can feel the raw emotion because he's a man in pain. Watch what he says. It's in your handout as well. Verses 9 through 12, he says, Have mercy on me, Lord, because I am in distress. Man, tears blur my eyes. My body and my soul, I feel like they're withering away. Have you ever really been hit with grief? If you have, you understand this. I am dying from my grief. I am so sad. My years are shortened by sadness. Then he shifts 
and sin, it's drained my strength. It can do that. It can do that. I'm literally wasting away within. He shifts one more time. Not only that, I'm scorned by all my enemies. I'm despised by my neighbors. He's got relational tension in all kinds of directions. Even my friends, they're afraid to come near me. That's abandonment. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. That's avoidance. Why? Because he's saying they don't, they don't know what to do with me. So the better, they, they, didn't, they, they feel sorry for me. They don't want to see me. They don't even want to be around me. They avoid me because they're unco- we understand that. Sometimes when we're uncomfortable with someone, we don't know what to say. I don't know what, I was, what I'm going to do. I, I, I just rather not be there. David's saying that's what's happening to him. I'm in such a mess. Do you see what he's saying? I'm a mess. I'm in a mess. I'm hurting on the inside. I feel like all my relationships are breaking down. I feel like people don't want to be around me. And then he summarizes it with that 12th verse. He says, the truth is, I'm ignored as if I didn't even exist. I'm ignored as if I was dead. You know what? As if I were a broken pot that has no value to anyone. Now, is he engaging in a hyperbole? Maybe. But one thing, this is how he feels. And if anything I've learned is that how we feel is how we feel. And he feels like he's, he, no one cares that, that in his present place, he has no value. He says, I'm, I'm as worthless as a broken pot. You want to know that a broken pot is? In their day, it, clay jars held, held the, the, the container. You know, they were the containers that held things, the, the oil, and, and they held water, or they held the grain. But once they were cracked, it was not like there was a repair kit. You just tossed them out into where other broken things were. And they were of no use anymore. David says, that's what I am. You can feel his pain. He's physically depleted. He's scorned by his enemies. He's despised by his neighbors. He feels alienated from his friends. He's ignored, worthless, as if he's a broken pot. And you walk through that psalm, and you're going, if you ever felt anything like that, you relate to him. But then watch, and this is what happens with a lot of the psalms. They make their way through the real pain and into the seriousness of what's going on, the problem, the struggle, but they find their way to God. Watch what he does. And this is in your hand as well, verses 19 to 21. He says, he gets to this spot. He repositions himself. He says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, who honor you, revere you in their lives, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who will, what, take refuge in you, who take refuge in the shelter of your presence. You will hide them. You will hide them from all human intrigues. I call that the complexities of life. And you will keep them safe in your dwelling from the accusing tongues, from the, the, the relational components that seem to make their way and the falsities of life. Praise, he then drops back into this place of praise. Praise be to the Lord who has showed me the wonders of his love. When I was a city under siege, he shifted his attitude, reconfigured his focus, and he looks back and he falls back and he goes, and the, the phrase that got me when I read this was that last one when he says, when I was a city under siege. I know some of us know how that feels. Because I was thinking about, whoa, what a phrase, a besieged city. That's like that. And I remember reading where I was. I remember where I was when I was reading this. And I was thinking, that's how I feel right now. Like I'm getting pressure from each side. Some of it from within, some without. I feel like a besieged city. And a besieged city is when you're being pressed from all sides and in peril, and you know you're in trouble, and you're fighting for your life, and you've got 
you've got stuff coming at you in all directions. You're in a besieged city, a city under siege. But then notice David says, but then God showed up. He showed me what? He says, the wonders of his love. In the, while I was a besieged city, he showed me the wonders of his love. He showed me the wonders of his love while I was a city under siege. God will show up when it is the hardest. It's what he does. And you go back to that first thing that we talked about that Paul said in that, in that uh, passage that we opened up with in, in 2 Corinthians 1. And that point that we made, we're not to rely on ourselves, we're to rely on God. But I think when we're under pressure, that's exactly what we tend to do. We, we tend to stop relying on God. We start relying more on ourselves. And we start to, when we're under, under a tremendous amount of pressure or we're severely discouraged or we're feeling like, we're just, I got so much stress on me, we start to panic. And you know this is true. Some of us know it really well. We can start to catastrophize. Everything is bad. It's worse than it is. Um, that's how we feel. In our angst, we react. And some of us, we are workers. That's, we work our problems through. And so we try to solve things by doing the same thing, just harder. But it doesn't produce the breakthrough we were looking for. And sometimes it's easy to, in those times where it's hard, it's easy to misdiagnose. Fear starts playing like tricks on us. You know what I'm talking about? It starts terrorizing us. Fear, our fear. We, fear becomes our enemy. Fear begins to distort our reality. And listen, because I know this is true, in the dark forest there are shadows everywhere even where there aren't any. I guess what we're saying is that when, we, when it comes to reliance, relying on God, we need to practice, listen, distrusting ourselves and practice trusting God. <laughs> and to doubt our feelings, which are powerful. I've got that saying. Remember we talked about this before. We're hitting it again. When we're in, in these places, we are to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs, we'll put that up. We are to doubt our doubts and to believe our beliefs. I said, Lord, I want to doubt this doubt that I'm having right now based on how I'm feeling. And I want to believe the things that I have committed myself to believing based on what your word tells me. I am going to position myself there. I will doubt my doubts and I will believe by faith my beliefs. Help me, Jesus. See, in that place, it's, it's, that's what we mean by walking in faith. It's, it's practicing walking in faith. It's, it's centering ourselves on God's promises, which are yes and amen. It's pulling his promises in and then saying, Lord, even though I feel this way and I don't even know how to get out of this thing, I'm a city under siege, but I want to hold on to your promise right now. I want to plant myself in your promise. That's one thing we do. That's part of what it means to rely on God. Second thing Paul says, you may, I, it, we read it through, we don't notice it. okay. But here it is, the second principle. We, we must remember the we, all right? Remember the we. You look at that passage again, you see we is all over it. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble. There it is. We went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expect, you see, you see it constantly just, it's, this is not a, he's not saying this is me. He's a we. He was in this with others. Paul was in this with others. He was not alone. And when you're in the heat, do not be alone. 
It's been said that shared pain is half the pain. And shared joy is twice the joy. Now, I don't know if it's exactly true percentage-wise, right? But, but I do love that. Shared pain is half the pain. And shared joy is twice the joy. It's like, yeah, yeah. Or that someone else helps bear some of the load of that pain, right? As I reflected again, I, this is just part of what I've been doing. I reflected back on that patch in 2.15 at the beginning. Coming right off of 2.14. Lost a lot of things. And I recall how much I benefited from others. I was not, a, I was not all alone. I had a few. My wife. A few critical, key, Christ-centered friendships where the trust gap was was small and vulnerability came easier. I call this the paradox of the wounded because I've noticed that when we're in pain, it's not uncommon to want to do two things that seem almost paradoxical. When we're in deep pain and hurting, part of us wants desperately to share that with someone because it's such a hard load to bear. But there's another part of us that, honestly, we just want to hide. So we have this thing going on. On the one hand, we want to share our pain because holding onto it is so hard. But at the same time, we want to shield ourselves from vulnerability, right? Because we don't really know sometimes who we can trust. So both things can happen simultaneously. I want to hide. I want to share. I want to shield. I want you to help me. And in those, that's the paradox of the wounded. And in that place, I, you know, I look back at my situation. I, I can only tell you, I benefited so much from Christian community. I benefited so much from having um, invested into a small group. In addition to what I mentioned earlier, I had a small group and I had a prayer. And I, 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 the small group that I was in was very small. I've been in it for a little while now. And it was very important to have that. I, I, I tell everyone all the time, that if you do not, if you're serious about following Jesus, get involved in community at a, at, a, at a more sensitive and intimate way in a small group. Jesus set small groups up as a way of, of experiencing life with him. He originated the first small group in the Christian movement. You could argue he, you can make the case that Jesus is the originator of the small group movement as we know it. He himself never sent his disciples out alone. They were always in twos. He built his team with a small unit. And that unit ended up changing the world. Now, here's the thing. Out of that unit, he had another smaller circle, the three, Peter, James, and John. Out of that, he had a, one they felt closest to, John. But you think about this, and it's a reminder that in a small group, and by the way, if you're not a part of a small group, I have to say this, if you're not a part of a small group, you can get signed up into one. It's not that hard, easy to do. We have openings, and they're going on right now. But in that place, of, in a small group, allows for us to both be around people that we maybe wouldn't normally be like, but be around, but we're sharing commonality in Jesus. We're also, out of that, whether it's ministering on teams, serving together, but in small groups, what happens is we, out of those things naturally come friendships, and trust is, is increased. The moment we, and then out of that trust, when that trust, remember I talked about the trust gap. When the trust gap decreases, our ability to be vulnerable increases. 
And there are some places we cannot be healed without being vulnerable. And one, and it was like, so, you know, I gained tremendous strength at that period in the we. That's often how God shows up. The other thing that happened was I asked some people who were in our prayer ministry to pray for me. I didn't tell them all the details. I didn't even understand my own self. What I did ask them for was prayer because I knew I was heading into a dark place. I was already there. And I was trying to figure out, how do I move through this right, Lord? And it was, I was having a hard time. And I remember asking, you know what? I need you guys to pray with me. I, I just, and then one of them, they sent me a passage of scripture, a word. Like, how can I say it? They said, hey, pastor, I was praying for you. And, um, you know, just this passage of scripture came to my mind. I was reading, and I, I, you know, I sent it to you. I think it might bless you. I felt it, impressed that it was for you. Okay. So I take this passage of scripture and I look at it. First off, I said, oh, thank you. Then I look at it. You know, I know the Bible. I look at it and I go, hmm. I started reading it and I started to feel this is a word for you. And it will happen. The word will contain a word for you. And that word, if it's properly received at the right time, will give you strength for a journey. That's why it is important to listen to the Lord's words. It might come when you're reading them. It might come when you're hearing them. When the word of the Lord comes and you hear something like, that is your word, write it, embrace it, own it, travel with it. Much, much strength will come to you in this word. That word, which I put in your handout that came to me through this person. The, text, the context actually wasn't even, you could even argue whether this advice was accurate in the way that it was being given, but the passage itself met me exactly where I was. And I put it in there so you could see it. There's one part of it that just, it, when I first read it, it made me cry. That partly is where I was. This is what it says in Job 11, 15 through 19. Then your face will brighten with innocence. And not all the versions are the same, but the NLT had, and the older one had it even slightly differently when I first read it. But then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong. You'll be free of fear. Then that 16th verse that hit me. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. The version I read said it will be like it will be all gone like water under the bridge. And your life will be brighter. And I just started saying, Lord, that's what I want. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope will give you courage and you will be protected and will rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid and many will look to you for help. That word was so powerful for me. It was such a blessing to me. It was such a hopeful word for me. But the main, and I'm saying this, God will send you a word sometimes and you go, that's that word for me. Here's the deal. There are certain seasons where the Lord will send us certain people with, <laughs> to us in, who will walk with us in certain ways that will make a huge difference in our life with God and our ability to sustain through the difficulty that we are facing and moving through or at least having to deal with. Ananias, Ananias is sent to Saul. Peter is sent to Cornelius. Elizabeth is sent to Mary. The Bible has countless examples. I'm convinced that it's part of his grace to us, part of how he provides for us when we're in trouble, is that 
he sends people because we is always better than me. Three, here it is on the board. Ask him for courage, confidence, guidance in the uncertainty. I go back to verse 10 there at the opening passage because Paul says we have placed our confidence in him. Paul rejoiced that God rescued him. He did and showed him the way out of his perilous situation. The truth is we're going to come when we're in the heat of a battle of our life or a situation that's hard or a place that we're not sure what to do that confounds us or we feel extraordinarily defeated and incapable of moving forward. We will find ourselves at these things that I call fork in the road moments. And in these fork of the road moments, we're not sure which way to go. Part of us almost can feel paralyzed. I will show you a shot, a picture, that my wife took when we were away. We were actually in Colorado. It was one of my lowest points. My wife was, we, would, we just took a walk. I just can't tell, but I was, I was not well. And I'm sitting there, and this seemed to me a metaphor. Like, what are you going to do? was also had to do with the attitudinal path I was going to have to take. Which one are you going to do? Which one are you going to take? You can't stay where you are. That's that thing's come to a close. You are where you are. Now you can sit, you can stand there in fear, paralyzed in indecision. Yes, you can. But that will get you nowhere. But the path that you are on is coming to a juncture point. You've got to decide what are you going to do? Which is the way? We get to these places in our lives where God is saying to us, look, you're going to have to move down this path. And see, the problem is both paths can look scary. And we just maybe want to stay exactly where we are, but the, you can't because you'll die there. You got to move. Now, I also came across when I was reading a devotional from a missionary Mamie Stanley Jones, a saying. Because in my mind, I was thinking, Lord, just show me the path I'm supposed to go. And when I read something, it hit me square, and maybe it'll help some of us. But this is what he said when you're in this tough place where you don't know which way to go, and you, you, want, to get, you want to say, show me the end of this road. This is what he said. Don't ask for the whole way. Just ask for the next step. There are times where it's not about, I, I said, I want to know the way. I want to know the whole way. I want to know, show me the directions out of this thing. No. You're not going to, this is not the time to ask for the whole way. What you need to ask me for is the next step. That's the thing you want to ask for. Just show me the step I'm supposed to take. But I want the whole way. Ask me for the next step because you're not getting the whole way. And then when you are given the next step, take it. And what is the next step really in the walk of faith? The next step really is simply just falling forward. I'm just falling forward, Lord. That's what walking is. I, I look at that, I was thinking in my, in my head, I was going, well, you know, the faith journey I was on, you know, I, it was almost like, God started sending me manna from above for a the per, critical, imagine the besieged city, all of a sudden you're getting provisions being sent down, Woo, right, dropping down. Critical provisions dropped into my besieged city. 
had a hard time ap appreciating it because when you're hurting and afraid, you don't really appreciate it until you look back later down the road and you go, wow, that's God's provision. That's God's provision. That's God's provision. Oh my goodness, that's God's provision. And I didn't want the next step. I wanted the whole way. But the faith journey I was on was going to be a next step journey, not a whole way one. And in a certain way, it still is. Lastly, it's going to sound super simple, but I'm going to tell you there's a lot in it. Here, we're going to leave it here. Do not underestimate the power of prayer. Mm. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, you are helping us by praying for us. Okay, hear me out. When you are under fire, be a prayer collector. Collect prayers. Don't be too proud. And try to go beyond, ah, it can't hurt, to this will make a difference. Try to go beyond, uh, oh, yeah, all prayers. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate your prayers. To this can make a difference. Try to go beyond, yeah, it can't hurt. Thank you for the uh, kind gesture. To it will make a difference in Jesus' name in my life, in my situation. It can literally move things. Now, I was at, for example, during the sabbatical ultimately led me to go um, away to spend some time with my wife's family, who, some of whom live in Hawaii. And I think, oh, he went on sabbatical to Hawaii. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all for me. <laughs> um, I can tell you, there was parts that almost felt, felt, it was so intense for me. I couldn't enjoy it. I wasn't, I was, I was fighting things. And um, my body that I relied on was not reliable. And I just, I, so I remember one night, my mother-in-law, who we stayed with, is a godly woman. She didn't always follow the Lord, but at a point in her life, she started following the Lord, and she's now a widow, and, and uh, she's been living in, in Hawaii. She's a very faithful part of her church. And, and uh, one of the things about her that uh, I was always aware of is that she's a woman of very simple but intense prayer. She loves to pray. She has a gift of faith and gift of intercession. And she, I truly believe that. I think all of us are involved. Everyone who follows Jesus is, is called to pray. Everyone is invited to pray, to pray for others. Just like, but I think we all have different gifts, though. Some, some of us, are, for example, have, I think in the, when we begin to find our identity in Jesus, we find that there are certain gifts God's placed into us. Some of us have the gift of hospitality, the, a gift of encouragement, a gift of giving mercy, a gift of leading. You can, whatever. There are many different gifts. Uh, there are many different kinds of spiritual gifts the Bible talks about, one of which is, is intercession and faith, which is a way of saying that sometimes people, when they pray, pray they can pray for long amounts of time and pray in, in, in almost any kind of way with great faith for simple things and sometimes profound things. And, you know, that can drive some of us who are less like that sometimes a little, like, we can make us frustrated. It's like, do we need to pray about everything, you know? You know, parking space, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, right? And so, but part of me goes, you know what, it's, it's okay. Uh, I, I don't, I really, if, if people who pray for uh, many different things, I think that's, that's here, I'll tell you this. I came to her, and I was in this place. And I said, you know, Lo, her name's Lo Ling. I said, Lo. I said, um, it was, I think it was the second night there. I just felt I was supposed to do this. I said, would you, would you 
pray with me, pray for me before I go to bed. And I remember just sitting there, I remember her, we just, she grabbed my hands. Just started praying for me. And I remember I cried. And I did this, and, and we prayed. Heal us, you know, heal in the name of it. Was, and that became my evening ritual with her all the time I was there. Mother, mother-in-laws are great, right? They're awesome. <laughs> Mine was a blessing to me. And so we prayed, and it was such a strength to me. You know, when you pray for someone in a wounded place, you become invested into their journey. It's not just them, it's us. Paul later would say, everybody's been blessed by your prayer praying for us. The victory that your prayers laid the groundwork for, everybody's experiencing it. It's because of you, he says. You did this. Your prayers made a huge difference in what we are doing together. It became a collective thing, powerful thing. It's the, it's the provision of the Lord. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, I'll pray for you, and I get it. And I love the fact that people say that. I do. Um, because a lot of times what we mean is the people say that to us, let's keep them in our prayers, or you're in our prayers, or you're in our thoughts and prayers. Something bad happens. They're in our thoughts and prayers. Now, people mean by that, that's a gesture of kindness and thoughtfulness. And I'm, I'm going to say that a lot of times there's a value in just having someone pray for us because in a way we're receiving strength. But It's like they're saying to us, I care for you. And then we say back to them in a way, I know you do. Or thank you. But what I'm talking about is that, but so much more. I'm talking about the power. It's, I'm talking about prayer, beyond, not just as a gesture of sympathy, but as a mechanism of releasing spiritual power that can change something inside of us that only God can get to and heal up. And you never know what it is, because Jesus said it could be the faith the size of a mustard seed that could dislodge a mountain, that could create an opening for God to do something, all through the power of the prayer of faith in Jesus' name. A lot of truth there. We think of provision, you know, we're reminded of, of how God provides, and I've been thinking about it even as well, how God provides, how faithful he is. Think about our church, how the Lord has provided for us. I even think how it shows up. You know, we're going to have our giving time, that got me thinking even about things like giving. You know, I know a lot of us, some of us are, are faithful in that. But it's not only giving because it's a good thing that God wants us to do and we're faithful in it. That's a good thing. Yes, it is. It's not only good because it, it you know, our church doesn't exist without it. All right? Bottom line. It's the faithfulness of the people who choose to invest. But really what it is, is if we say we care about something, it shows up in what we actually do. That's a fact. It's what we invest into. And it comes back around to because the Lord is faithful in all his ways. You know, I want to close us, before we have our time of giving, by having us read this prayer. The daily prayer. I wrote it just for all of us to share it. It's meant to be our prayer for the week, connecting to the message. Lord, there are going to be times when it feels like we are a city under siege. It's going to happen in this life. When we sense our isolation and fear is beginning to overwhelm us. Have you ever felt that way? In those times, would you please help us to rely on you and claim your promises? Because your words are life. And may our misery be, be like water under the bridge. Ah, and may you show us the wonders of your love. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen.